Hi everyone, and welcome to another sauntering podcast with me, Paul White. I'm coming to you from the beautiful town of Weymouth in Dorset by the sparkling blue sea. It never rains, it's always sunny. This podcast began during lockdown. We galloped through or sauntered through many, many books of the Bible now. I'm a disciple of Jesus and my job is to encourage you and encourage other people to walk with him. Dear saunterers, welcome to another saunter. We're on Hebrews chapter 10 today. I do have a studio audience here at the office. um, And I have to say that it is covered in fur and is barking mad. That's a clue about my studio audience today. And there are passers-by looking in the window. And sometimes dogs have the cheek to walk by as well. And that does require a comment from my studio audience. So bear in mind and please forgive any interruptions. Um, We're going to pray. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing piece of scripture. We thank you that this whole book is amazing. The whole Bible is amazing. But Lord, you want to speak to us today. And so we open our hearts to you. Amen. Good morning, George and Fran. Great to see you. So chapter 10 of Hebrews is a kind of, the, is sort of like a summary of all that's gone before. And uh, he starts out by repeating some things that we've heard a few times now, but they bear repeating. And I think the point of it is that he's really trying to get this message home to his audience, his listeners or his readers. This is such an important message. This is foundational. It is essential that you get it. So I'm going to repeat it. And so verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So again, this sense that it doesn't complete us, it doesn't perfect us, it doesn't make us holy in once and for all kind of way it has to be repeated verse two so the sacrifices had to be repeated good morning Alison and Fliss great to see you lovely people verse two it says otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed sorry let me do that again otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year and so there's the kind of there's a kind of rationale and an understanding of why the sacrifices were repeated year on year number 1 was they couldn't actually satisfactorily remove anyone's sin but number two it was this continual reminder of sin and the issue of sin and how it separates us from God and how it needed to be paid for it's like this outstanding debt but every year we get a statement through from the bank saying we owe this money and it's like we haven't paid it we haven't done anything to pay it back and it's so it's like this constant reminder of sin Verse 4, for it is impossible, here's the really 
important verse. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's really important that the Hebrews understand this. The Jewish listeners understand this. The ones who've come to Jesus from the life of Judaism and Hebrew culture and sacrifices and everything else, however important those rituals were, they are a shadow and they're not going to actually do the job of making anyone perfect. And so verse 4 is a really important one that we, we need to take away from this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, which is good news for bulls and goats, I guess. And verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, this is really interesting because this was actually written by David, not by Jesus. However, the inspired writer of scriptures, this he, this writer to the Hebrews, is able to say confidently and assure us that actually these are the words of Jesus. So David heard them from Jesus in the spirit. When David was being inspired to write this psalm, he was actually hearing the words that Jesus had uttered in the council of God somewhere in back in eternity. Jesus um, And Jesus had said these words, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. It's like way back in the time of David, long, long, long before Jesus was um, born to Mary and laid in the manger and so on, there was this, this understanding somehow prophetically that the Messiah would have a body prepared for him and that he would take on this role in, in, and kind of satisfy the, the kind of unanswered debt that sacrifices and offerings haven't satisfied. They haven't paid for it. Good morning, Ingrid. Great to see you. And so he really covers most of the different um, offerings to God there that were conducted in the Old Testament. Sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings as a whole sort of comprehensive list of the kind of different rituals and things that were required to deal with sin and to say thank you to God and all these other things. And he says, you've not been you haven't desired these things, but you have prepared a body for me. And now I've come. To do your will, O God. This is really such an incredible little encapsulation of the ministry of the Messiah, of the mission of the Messiah, Jesus, who would Jesus will kind of embody this and fulfill it and carry it all the way through to completion. Interesting, we keep getting that word teleio or something like that in Greek that's perfected or perfect, make perfect. And when Jesus says it is finished, he's he's drawing on the same word and kind of that same sense. This is completed. It's finished. It's perfected. I've done it. It's all done. And he says, I have come to do your will, O God. And you remember when Jesus is in his most extreme pressure um, and he's praying in the garden, he says, God, let this cup pass away from me. And yet not my will, but yours be done. This is Jesus all the way through. He's not here to do his own will. He's here to do the will of the Father. He's here to follow through on the um, 
on the plan of God for the salvation of the whole world, to give his life as a ransom for many. We talked about a ransom yesterday, didn't we? It's like paying off that debt or paying off a kidnapper who has taken someone we love and we pay the ransom to get them free or we buy someone out of slavery. That's all that sense is in there. When Jesus gives his life, he's doing all of those things. He's redeeming us. He's paying a ransom to get us out of slavery to sin and death and the grip of the devil. How amazing is that? So, oh, this is just glorious and so important, this this scripture. He says, verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. And this is this is a really important doctrinal statement. Again, this is a really important bit of theology for these Hebrews. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Wow. And these gems are hidden in the Old Testament and they're also um, eloquently speaking of Jesus and so strongly and forcefully making the case that Jesus is the Messiah and yet still there are millions around the world who have not seen it and haven't even even from a Hebrew Jewish background haven't understood that haven't comprehended it and John says that in the same thing in his gospel he came to his own his own did not receive him so he does away with the first in order to establish the second he's he's kind of pushing away one covenant to establish another one and verse 10, and by that will, and we talked about a will yesterday, requires someone to have died for it to come into effect. Jesus has written a will in his own blood, if you like, if you can bear the metaphor. And by that will, we have been sanctified. That means made holy, made acceptable to God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all it's a done deal it's finished it doesn't require repetition in fact any repetition of that is blasphemous it's unnecessary it's an insult as we'll see as we go on through it's an insult insult to the the sacrifice of Jesus verse 11 and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So even whilst this book is being written, there's still the same rituals going on in the temple, albeit for a short-lived period of time now. Um, these things are still going on. And, and we got this sense of the, which we've talked about before, the priest stands daily at his service repeatedly offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sin verse 12 but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God and so it's done it's finished the priest stays standing because his job is never done there's always going to be someone else coming with sin in their heart that needs forgiveness and needs a sacrifice to be made it's never finished it's like the housework is never done, is it? Because more dust comes, we make more mess. There's more things to be cleared up. There's more washing up to be done. And it's exactly the same 
and with the priesthood in the Old Testament and that was still going kind of strong at the time this was written, they say, the scholars reckon that this book was written at about 64, 65 AD. The temple was obliterated in 70 AD. So maybe six, five years to come, all of that stuff is going to stop. And it makes this such an incredibly prophetic book when we think of the context historically it was written in. So, so um, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. So there is a sense in which the victory is won, but the wrapping up process and the kind of uh, ushering in of his kingdom on the earth and is the extending of the good news on the earth is still in process. That process is still happening now. And so he's, Jesus is sitting down waiting for that time until his enemy should, should be made a footstool for his feet. It's going to happen. It's not like, oh, I wonder, oh, how's it going today? Oh, it looks like we're losing ground. No, this is going to happen. This is a sure thing because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant that we've had this one before as well. This is from Jeremiah 13. Uh, sorry, 31. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins no more. And the, sorry, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Wow. So even back there in the time of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who was overcome with grief and sorrow at the dreadful state of people's hearts back in his day that led to the exile um, into Babylon. Just heartbreaking stuff. Yet there's this incredible message of hope coming through Jeremiah that God is going to make a new covenant where he's going to establish the laws of God in our hearts. He's going to write them on the tablets of our hearts instead of tablets of stone. And listen to this. He's going to remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. Wow, that is only possible because of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. God doesn't forget. He hasn't lost his memory over certain things. He chooses to remember them no more. It's like he doesn't, that when God puts them out of his mind, they're out of his mind. That's it. They're gone. They're done for. They're finished. I remember their sins no more. I'm not going back there. Don't you go back there as well. Right. Verse Oh, verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So if the sins have been forgiven, any offering to pay for them is just stupid, isn't it? It's like the, the offering, as another couple of little dogs walking by greeting popcorn who's asleep in the window. Um, so where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's the whole point. If, if my debt is paid, any further payment or attempt to pay for it is just pointless, is meaningless. The debt doesn't exist. What's that about? It's, it's kind of, wait, that's all paid for. It's finished. It's done. And so where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And it's really, really important that the Jewish 
believers reading this understood it and got this message because the pressure was on to return back to Judaism, to come back into the fold because they were being persecuted so much. And it was such a difficult time. And don't forget, for the Jew, their identity is wrapped up in all of that ritual. And so a Muslim friend of mine, or ex-Muslim, when he, when he became disillusioned with Islam and left Islam, and he hadn't found Jesus yet, it, he said it was like his whole identity had gone. He couldn't, he didn't know who he was because everyone from his ethnicity were, his, were Muslims. And so to, to lose that Muslim identity was almost to lose his own identity. And for these Jews, they, they're kind of having to understand that their identity is in Christ now. Wow, but listen to the listen to the benefits we have because of what Jesus has done. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, these things that were exclude we were excluded from before, now we have confidence to enter them. These this, these places that were just for the priests and the high priests, and then only once a year. Actually, we can go there every day with confidence. By the blood of Jesus, because Jesus has paid for it. By the new and... So let me read it as a whole verse without interrupting it. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So even our flesh, our the stuff that our bodies and our fleshly nature is where we let ourselves down so often and we seem to disqualify ourselves from, oh, it's like, oh my goodness, I've sinned, you know. And yet the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And he's saying, even our bodies are washed with pure water. Verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, again, we're going back to that reason the book was written. It was to kind of get these guys, these Jewish believers, to hold on to their confidence in Jesus and to not waver and not lose the plot and get sucked back into Judaism. Um, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up. So rather than getting wobbly and insecure and vulnerable, verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, interesting that at this time, good morning, Dinesh, great to see you. Morning, Wendy. It's interesting that at this time, the um, Jewish believers were wobbling and wavering in their faith and they were succumbing to the pressures of persecution and they were having this crisis of faith. And it's they, the part of the 
product of that was they became reluctant to kind of meet together and it was a bit of an effort and a bit of a drag and it's really easy once we start to drift as we said we we should be careful lest we drift away it's easy that one of the things that happens when we start to drift is we get a little bit jaded about meeting together and the idea of going to church and being with Christians is like oh what an effort I can't be bothered I've got so much to do I would much rather have a little bit of time just for myself because it's really important we have some me time and all the rest of it and so we can just we can end up not meeting together and and then the writer says actually don't neglect that it's don't get into the habit of that that's a bad habit to get into actually encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching drawing near so even whatever situation we're in but we're always drawing nearer to the the return of the lord all the more reason for us to meet together encourage one another cheer each other on it makes so much difference we talked about encouragement already in this little series so but please don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing verse 26 for this is a challenging little section now not gonna lie Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. Now, this is a really challenging one. Evangelicals do not want to part company with the idea that once we're saved, we're always saved. And so people would say, this is not about that. But what is it about? the, The writer to the Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers who are under pressure to get sucked back into the sacrificial system and to walk away from their faith in Jesus. But what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What else is there? There is nothing else that works. There is no sacrifice for sin that will pay. Nothing else works. Don't go back to that old thing. That's just a shadow. Can you not see the the heart and cry of this guy? Uh, or or lady even if it is Priscilla but who knows but there's that cry of the heart of a shepherd saying don't go back to that there's nothing else there's nothing else out there in fact anyone turning away from Jesus who's believed in him whether they're Jews or Gentiles there isn't anything else there isn't anything else that works there's nothing else to go to the disciples said to Jesus they said he said are you going to leave me as well and they said to whom else would we go you have the words of eternal life and that is precisely the point of this it is do not trample underfoot the blood of jesus don't dismiss it and disregard it when it talks about setting aside don't don't belittle it and diminish it and make it a small thing this is the very means of salvation first for the jew then for the gentile it's exactly the same and so whether we're tempted to go back into Judaism which personally I've never been in it so I'm not certainly not but that sometimes we get those days where we just think oh man you know gosh I don't know 
And let's not treat, let's not disregard the blood of Jesus and disregard the sacrifice of Jesus. That that is the only way you and I or anybody else on the planet is ever going to be saved is through the blood of Jesus and through that eternal covenant, through the blood of the covenant. Oh my, verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And the word there for vengeance is meeting out justice equally among people. So it's God's dispensation of justice. That is his department. The, the meeting out of justice is mine. I will repay. And God doesn't, God's not fooled by our words. He's not fooled by a kind of sales pitch. He knows our hearts, right? I'm going to press on. And he says, so the Lord, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so we, we're not going to play fast and loose with the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus because it is the only thing that can save us. And what an incredible gift. What an incredible gift. Verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. So the writer is saying, listen, you've suffered already. You've taken a massive hit to follow Jesus. You've associated with those who are in prison. You've, you, you've had your stuff taken away from you. Your property has been confiscated because of your faith. Why would you now waver and go back to the old thing that can't save you? And he says, Verse 35, it is such an important verse for us. I mean, <laughs> I can say it is so important. This is so important. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Verse 36, listen to this. For you have need of endurance, that so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So, don't throw away your confidence. There's a great reward in it, but you have need of endurance. And sometimes, oh my goodness, we've got the potential, but we just don't want to endure. It's just too much effort. Now, anyone who's run a marathon will tell you that there are times when you're running in that race and you just think, I can't go on. <laughs> I can't go on. Or any kind of endurance um, sport or even maybe a grueling match of football or something like that and you, there's this point you just I can't, I, can't, I can't do it and yet he says you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God you may receive what is promised and there is that sense if we hold on it talks later on about uh, uh, or somewhere else in the scripture about Abraham who through faith and endurance received what was promised Faith and endurance. And so well, let's not start well and then flake out. Let's hang in there and run the race. And there's one or there's some big tragedies around us in recent days that will obviously make it into 
social media and the news and everything. And uh, we we hear of people who've started well, who've done great a great job of preaching the gospel, and then at some point they've allowed some sin to creep into their heart, and they've not finished well. And it, isn't it sad, sad, sad? But there is this need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. God loves us. He delights in us. He's cheering us on. But he wants us to finish the race, obviously. And so whatever stage of this race you're at now, it's easy to get tired and weary and think, oh, I'm not sure I can keep this up. Let us go. Let's encourage each other, cheer each other on, number one. Continue to meet together and come daily to boldly approach the throne of God. Let's come with confidence to enter the holy place every day. Let's make it our practice to come to Jesus directly, intimately, to connect with him every day. Let's not just get dreary and settle for second best, but let's say, Jesus, you've given me these promises. You've gone into the holy place on my behalf. Now I'm coming to find you. Here I am. Here I'm coming this morning. Here I am. I'm coming to find you. I want to see your face today. Fill me today. Just stick your hands out in front of you like he's going to give you something. I'm going to just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who has done such a monumental job of winning salvation for us. Lord, today, let us, Lord, we want to come into your presence with boldness and confidence. Lord, Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Fill us again with your love. Fill it, just fill us with fresh impetus and fresh courage and strength to keep running this race, Lord Jesus, wherever we're at, however long we've been in it. For your name's sake, Lord Jesus, amen, amen. Have an amazing day, everyone. I love you loads. If you've enjoyed this podcast, that's brilliant. That's exactly what I hope for. Please do share it, like it, pass it on, get it out there. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day.